As you maybe noticed last week, uh, if you were here, that uh, there isn't really one single passage we're looking at. And in some ways, this, these talks and guidance are less of a sermon and more of a, a talk, uh, more of a, an address. Um, and we're jumping from one part of Scripture in order to see the, the whole of Scripture's teaching. And we looked last week at God's goal for our lives. And we thought last week that if God is sovereign, everything is planned out. And God is sovereign, so therefore every single thing is planned out. And we, were, we read in Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the secret things belong to, to the Lord, and the things revealed belong to us and to our children after us, that we might obey them. So, God is sovereign over everything. He hasn't promised to reveal everything. So there are some things that are secret. There are details of our lives, details of the world, that he says, I'm not going to tell you. But the things that I do tell you, I want you to pay particular attention to those and to obey them. God doesn't promise to email us directions for every moment of our lives. And one writer portrays the, the idea um, that, you know, some Christians have an idea that God has promised to reveal the exact details of our lives to us so that we can always be in the centre of God's will. And we should banish that phrase from our thinking. We should get rid of it uh, from our speech, for it is not a biblical phrase. He imagined, this writer imagines it this way, imagine if Adam and Eve, before sin came into the world, tried to live that way. And Eve says to Adam, what would you like for tea, dear? And he says, well, we should pray about it. And Eve said, but, but Adam, he said we could eat from any tree in the garden. He says, yes, but we, we, we need to know specifically which tree we are to eat from. You know, God knows what tree we should eat from today and we, we, we need to know it so that we are in the centre of his will. And so he says, Lord, please show us what tree we can eat from. And the Lord says, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. And Eve says, see, I told you. <laughs> and he goes, no, 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 but, but, but Lord, which tree is it your desire that we, you're free to eat from any tree? But Lord, we want to be in the centre of your will. No, no, no. Eat. You may eat from any tree in the garden except one. You eat from one tree, you disobey me, the thing that has been revealed to you, then you will not be in my will. You will be outside of my will. And you see, the, the, the idea doesn't work. It actually does an injustice to God because God is generous. And yes, he knows exactly the path that we will take. But he hasn't promised to tell us all the details because it would frighten the living daylights out of us, wouldn't it? But he says, just, just you concentrate on the big things. And we looked last week at what some of the big things are. And we looked at, at four great compass points. And we saw those compass points that we are uh, to know God. That's the first great compass point. We are to, to know God. Well, whatever we're doing, we're trying to know God better. Second compass point was we are to be like 
Jesus. We are to be Christ-like. So in whatever area of life we're in, our task in that place at that time is to be Christ-like. And then we saw that we are to represent our Saviour by doing acts of mercy and speaking words of truth, words of salvation. So we're to be as witnesses. That's God's will for us. And then we saw that we are to be doing all of these things connected to the church, for the church is what God is doing, is building his kingdom through the church. Christ is head over all things for the church. And so, uh, as we are seeking to follow those things, then we are in God's will. The things that have been revealed. Now, now, now someone might say, but God still reveals things. Um, maybe not everything, but he still reveals things to us that we are to do that aren't in his word. New revelations. And we want to think about that this evening. This lies at the heart of the issue of guidance. And it takes us to the very heart of scripture itself. What is scripture? What is revelation? And there's two things that I want us to note this evening. Or two main headings. Uh, and I do want to say that this is not as complete uh, a piece as I would like it to be. Uh, the circumstances of this week have, have meant that it's that, but it is what it is and it may not have answered all your questions, so come and ask questions of me. First thing I want us to note is God has revealed. God has revealed. The things revealed belong to us and to our children after us. And it's vital for us to know the nature and character of the things revealed. How does God reveal? Well, we could divide it into a couple of categories. These aren't really headings. These are just by way of introducing the ideas. There's what we call general revelation. And that's creation. And then there's, well, there's general revelation where God reveals himself through his acts in history. And then there's general revelation where he, he shows what he's doing. He reveals something more of his wisdom, perhaps, or his sovereignty in the circumstances of our lives. And as very often as we look back at history and look back at the circumstances of our lives, we look at them and go, oh, wow, look at what I see about God. And in a general way, God has revealed something of himself to us. Or we look at creation. We sang from Psalm 19, the spacious heavens declare the glory of our God. Romans 1 uh, speaks to us of how it is, uh, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. God reveals himself in creation. That's his general revelation. But then there is his special revelation. His special revelation. And his special revelation, we would say, would take in things that are unique. 
As we move through the Old Testament, we see dreams and visions and prophecy. And we see God appearing, the angel of the Lord. We see God appearing in human form in, in the Old Testament. Special revelation. And then we've got Scripture. Scripture is God's special revelation of himself to us. And then as we read uh, from Hebrews 1, uh, we have, um, sorry, from Hebrews 1, in these last days, uh, let me see. In the past, God spoke to us through our forefathers, through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. And so God's special revelation takes in these unique moments where he speaks through dreams and visions and prophecy, where he gives us scripture and he gives us his Son. Those are acts of special revelation. And guidance, when we talk about guidance, we are particularly concerned with the category of special revelation. And how does scripture describe itself? Should we expect dreams and visions and prophecy uh, today? How does scripture see itself? How are we to view revelation? Not the book of revelation, but how God communicates. And there are four key words that I want us to grasp uh, this evening. Four key words about revelation, about God communicating to us through scripture. One, it's authoritative. It's authoritative. All the words of Scripture are God's words. Nearly 4,000 times in the Old Testament, God, we read God said, or the word of the Lord came to. We, we see it over and over again. We see it, for example, in 2 Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23, verse 2 and 3. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The rock of Israel spoke and said to me, that's David, God spoke to him. We see that we are not to make it up in Ezekiel 13 too, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are now prophesying. Say to those who prophesy out of their own imagination and they say here the word of the Lord. Say to them that he's going to go on and bring judgment on them. God's word is authoritative and we're not to make it up. We're not to add to it. We'll see that. Uh, later, but even the prophet uh, Balaam said that. He said, even if I was given all the silver and gold in Balak's palace, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord. I must say only what the Lord says. And he was right. God's word is authoritative. We are not to add to it ourselves. And as we move into the New Testament, we see not only did the Old Testament writers have an awareness that the mighty God was speaking through them, but we see the New Testament writers have this awareness about the Old and about their own writings. 2 Timothy 3.16 All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. All scripture is God-breathed. And Paul's not just referring to to the Old Testament because he's going to go on and say so that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And we need, we need the revelation of the New Testament 
so that we can be thoroughly equipped. So Paul's taking in as he's writing towards the end of his life all that has been written. The Old Testament and the New Testament. In 2 Peter 1.21, Peter writes, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but in prophets, though, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's authoritative because it's God speaking and these men knew who they were and what they were doing. And when we read in, in 2 Peter 3, uh, 16, sorry, 2 Peter 3, 2, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. The, the Saviour gave commands through his apostles. Here's this authoritative speaking. In 1 Timothy 5, 18, we read, For Scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. That's a quote from Deuteronomy. And then Paul writes, And, for Scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox, And the worker deserves his wages. Where does that come from? It comes from Luke. Luke 10, 7. So he's, he's equating what's recorded in and only found in the Gospel of Luke. Well, that's Scripture too. So we see that both the Old Testament and the New Testament are the authoritative Word of God. These are the things revealed. And we are to obey the things that are revealed because they come with authority. That's our first word. Our second word is infallible. Infallible. That means there are no mistakes. God is true. In Titus 1-2, we speaks of about the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. God is a God who does not lie. All the assertions that Scripture makes are true. Wherever scripture touches on history, it speaks the truth. And so often when archaeologists have said scripture is wrong, they've had to come back decades later and eat humble pie and say, oops, we've just found an artifact that backs up what scripture has said. If I were to ask you when the last archaeological finding that backed up scripture was, you might think it was 10 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Uh, it was last month. Um, just that's just off the top of my head because I read it last month and I can't have the details for you because it's just, it's just, I've just remembered it but you see what I mean it's authoritative when it speaks of, our, of history it's authoritative when it speaks or sorry it's infallible when it speaks of history geography, biology, science, cosmology what's fascinating about these um, dis discoveries that the James Webb Telescope is making is that it's throwing into confusion the current prevailing theory of the Big Bang hypothesis. And they're going, this, this doesn't match up. I, I read another article a couple of weeks ago stating that the theory of evolution is in crisis and needs to be rethought. And the article wasn't written by Christians. It was written by a secular uh, science journalist. Jesus says in John uh, 17, and verse 17, your word is truth. This is the characteristic of the thing revealed. 
It is true. It is infallible. It is unmistaken. There are no mistakes in what it says. No errors. Our second characteristic, infallible. Our third characteristic, this is a key one, well it's building on the other two, is that it is sufficient. It is sufficient. It is enough. Read in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. Well, that's quite a list. And then it says why? So that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thoroughly equipped, not partially equipped, not mostly equipped, not thoroughly equipped for the majority of good works, but thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture is sufficient. In Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 we read, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given his very great and precious promises. Where are the promises? In what is revealed. And that is going to give us everything we need to live a godly life. It's sufficient. It's sufficient. We may think we want answers to other things, but God has said, my word will be enough. My word will be enough. It's not, it doesn't tell us everything about everything, but it tells us what we need to know, what God knows we need to know to live for him. And part of the aim this evening is that, that we would have confidence. Sometimes we'll hear other Christians say, the Lord told me, or I have a word from the Lord, or the Lord gave me a dream or a vision, and you might feel very second rate, well, he doesn't do that to me. But I want you to see that what God has given us in his word is sufficient. And it's infallible. And it is authoritative. That makes it safe. Other times when people say, I have a word from the Lord, I have a dream or a vision. Do we know it's infallible? Do we know it is authority for us? Is it safe? We're told here that it is sufficient. It is sufficient for the main purpose of life, for growing in godliness, for serving our Savior. The man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, to know God and to live for him. It's sufficient for the purpose of life. And it gives sufficient principles for the living of life in so many different areas. Remember we said last time it's a compass and not a route map. And God expects us to study his uh, word. Remember the, the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my study all the day. It makes me wiser than my foes. Its precepts with me stay. In Hebrews uh, 5 and verse uh, 11 following, we read, Paul, or the, the writer of Hebrews says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And then he says, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, 
who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil, who by constant use, you see, God's word is sufficient and we are to be constantly using it so that we grow in wisdom. Wisdom is the right application of God's word to the circumstances of our lives. John Stott says, God's promises of guidance are not given to save us the bother of thinking. God's promises of guidance are not given to save us the bother of thinking. God would have us wrestle with his word to ask what are the different factors that come into play here as I'm trying to make this decision. And as we do that, there's so much that's happening in our soul as we're wrestling in this factor and that factor. And we're crying out, Lord, would you lead me and guide me? Open my eyes that I might see the different things in your law that have something to say to this circumstance that I'm in. Show me so that I will make a wise decision. And we're wrestling with Scripture and Scripture coming into our lives. And in a sense, you know how it is whenever you were in school and... Uh, the answers were in the back of your maths book and you were trying to do the question and you thought, ah, who's got time for this? You wrote down the answer. And the teacher didn't really care whether at one level you got the answer right or wrong. They wanted you to have the practice of working through the problem to get to the answer. And it's the working through the problem that is far more important than getting the answer right. And you see, God is like that too. It's the working through of it that is as important as the answer and you see if we're thinking that we should have an idea of guidance that just says Lord I'm just going to sit here and wait for a word from you and you'll tell me what to do and that'll be it well we're short-circuiting God's process for maturity and it, it's it, it actually prevents us from maturing as believers we're where is it where looking for milk when we should be on meat and, we, and the writer of the Hebrews speaks about through constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil see that's what God has in mind as we meditate on scripture our minds are conformed to the mind of God and as we do that, we are led increasingly into it. This is the way God is shaped. As we take in the written word, then we begin to resemble the living word. And then we respond correctly. That's how God would have it. It's sufficient. It's sufficient because God has designed it to be wrestled with. So that's our third key word. It's sufficient. And then fourth key word is complete. Complete. In Ephesians 2.20, uh, we read that uh, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We are built on that foundation. In the New Testament, there were prophets. Why was that? Well, if you were a New Testament believer in Ephesus, you probably didn't have the Gospels at that stage. You maybe had a copy of some of one of Paul's earlier letters to the Thessalonians, but you had the Old Testament. So how were God's people to live in the period bef between having the Old Testament and 
the New Testament being complete. Well, God sent prophets to speak into that void. And Paul is saying, but now, now the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And you as living stones are being built together to become a holy temple dwelt in by his spirit. See, you lay a foundation once. You don't keep laying the foundation over and over again. One of the things that's fascinating is you read through the New Testament and you look for the references to things like God making new revelations through prophets. We see that tailing off as the letters, uh, as the letters go on. We see it referred to several times in 1 Corinthians, which is an early letter, in 1 Thessalonians, another early letter. But by the time we come to the later letters, what's Paul saying to Timothy? He's saying to Timothy that he is to preach the word. We read that in 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word, uh, Timothy was told. Um, he was told to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. Why? Why did he not say prophesy? Why did he not say bring a new revelation? It was to devote himself to the public reading of Scripture. And so Scripture, you see, is complete. It's becoming increasingly complete. And Scripture itself uh, warns against adding uh, to Scripture. It views itself as complete. Let me give you uh, some verses. Deuteronomy 4.2 Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. Proverbs 30, 5 and 6 Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. The beginning of the Bible, the middle of the Bible, the end of the Bible, Revelation 22. I warn anyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. Do you see? Um... Solemn words, warnings given, it's regarded by God as complete. In 1 Corinthians 4, 6, uh, Paul writes, Do not go beyond what is written. In Jude 3, Jude chapter 1, verse 3, he speaks of the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. You see, God's God has revealed, and he has revealed authoritatively. He has revealed infallibly. He has revealed sufficiently, and he has revealed completely. Additions are not necessary, because the man or the woman of God is thoroughly equipped for every good work. Additions are actually dangerous, because there is a judgment of God attached to it. And having, having looked at what Scripture has to say, let me read to you uh, very briefly what a couple of doctrinal statements from the past have to say. The Irish Articles of Religion by Archbishop Usher. 
The Holy Scriptures contain all things necessary to salvation and are able to instruct sufficiently on all points of faith that we are bound to believe and all good duties that we are bound to practice. We in Ireland said that 400 years ago. In England and Scotland 400 years ago. A longer statement from the Westminster Confession. Although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence show the goodness, wisdom and power of God, so much as to leave people without excuse. That's what we said, general revelation. Yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his will which is necessary for salvation. Not enough. We need something special. Therefore it pleased the Lord at various times and in diverse ways to reveal himself and to declare his will to the church. Various ways. Prophecy, dreams, visions, word, uh, coming to prophets and so on. Afterwards, it says, in order to better preserve and propagate the truth and to more surely establish and protect the church against the corruption of the flesh, the malice of Satan, and sorry, the malice of Satan and the malice of the world, it pleased the Lord to commit this completely into writing, which makes the Holy Scripture most necessary, those former ways of God's revealing his will to his people now being ceased. Now being ceased. God has given us his word, written down so that we can be sure of it, so that we can be kept safe, and those previous ways now being ceased. Four key characteristics. The aim is for you to have confidence in your Bibles. They are our only rule of faith and practice. Next week, uh, or sorry, two weeks' time, Sarah will be taking her membership vows. Three weeks' time, each person who's a member of the fellowship will be coming to the Lord's table and renewing their membership vows. What's the first one? Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testament as the Word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? And we say yes to that. We say yes, that's all we need. That no doubt raises many questions. And that's my second point. And we'll come to them next week, God willing. But let me make some application. Have confidence in God's word. Have confidence in it. Have confidence that God has given you what you need so you can be thoroughly equipped to live for him in this world. Have confidence in it. Secondly, read it. Mine it. Apply it to your lives. Ask yourself whenever you're, you're wrestling with a decision, what all are the different factors that God's word says about this? What are there different factors in this decision? Different things that I need to consider. What does God's word say about each of those? And then as you're mining through his word, you will become shaped by his word. So be reading God's word, mining into it, digging into it. 
and have confidence in living biblically. Don't let anyone rob you because they speak in terms of language that says, well, well, God told me or God gave me a vision or God, don't, you have the infallible, perfect, complete, without error, word of God that will never lead you astray. God has written it down so that each person here has equal opportunity to get to it. So that it's not one person feeling superior to them because God spoke to me. Well, he didn't speak to me. I had somebody say that once. They said, well, they, they, their, their actual words were, after a, an address, a sermon, a service, they said, they come up to me and said, does God have any promises for me? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, people in our church are always talking about how God gave them a promise. I've shared this with you before. I turned around, lifted my Bible, and I handed it and said, there you go. They're all for you. And they just looked at me with amazement. They're all for me? Well, you know me well enough to know that I'm not going to miss an opportunity to pull somebody's leg. I said, well, no, no, they're not all for you. Um, Abraham you shall have a son. That's not for you because you're not called Abraham. Um, but apart from that, apart from the specific one, they're all for you. And our face lit up. You see, uh, what I believe is a careless way of thinking, at best a careless way of thinking, and a careless way of speaking, can rob Christians of the sheer richness, immensity and comfort of having God's revealed will and word in their hand. So don't let anyone rob you of it. You have it. Take it, read it, enjoy it. And next week we will come back to perhaps many of the, the questions that that raises. How are we to respond to all the other things? And what are we to, to make of, how are we to apply this to guidance? So much of guidance is, is in, in many places is found on putting out a fleece and waiting for a word from the Lord or, or opening your Bible to this or, or going on a hunch. And a, no, no, no. We have the word of God that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work so that we, we for all that we need for life and godliness. So let's be thankful and make the most of it. Amen. Let's, let's pray for you. Let's stand as we come to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for your mercy to us, for we are foolish creatures who wouldn't remember the length of ourselves, the things that you told us. So we thank you that you've written it down and that we live at a time and a place where we've got it in our language and it's in black and white on a page and it doesn't change and it's not mistaken and it's perfect and it's complete, and it's all that we need for life and godliness. And we thank you for giving it to us. Help us to mine it. Help us to read it with a hunger. Help us to read it to see how it connects to our lives. Help us to put it into practice because the things that are revealed are for us and for our children that we might obey them. So help us to value your word, to mine it for its direction, its wisdom, its promises, 
its patterns, its pictures of Christ. Lord, and as we gaze at the written word, may we see more of the incarnate word, so that as we behold his glory, we are transformed from one degree of glory into another. That as we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we would know your good, pleasing and perfect will. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we live here with it in our hands. Let us not mistake the treasure through familiarity. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen.